Hey, I just got back from lunch. Did you finish that report yet? Uh, well, not exactly. I'm still working on it. I'm not finished just yet. Uh, I got a little sidetracked, but I will get them to you first thing this afternoon. <laughs> it is first thing this afternoon. Well, yeah, I, I understand that, but I mean, I, I am working on it. What do you mean that the report isn't finished yet? I'm, I'm still in the process of working on it. I've just been a little distracted. Just distracted? Our meeting starts in an hour. Have it. You, you no no. What were you doing? Were you listening to another hunting podcast again? I swear, I give the staff in this office the freedom to do whatever they want to do as long as they meet a deadline. That is the first bullet underneath your job description. Pays attention to detail and deadline and deadline. listening to me right now welcome to episode 151 of the whitetail distraction podcast my name's austin and joining me on a beautiful summer night charles headland how you doing buddy it doesn't feel like summer my friend it does like a fall night fall i know i got some scree gear on right now oh yeah (laughs) buddy i sure did oh buddy did and i'm i'm like the scree santa claus in a way i like it (laughs) I like it. Maybe I need to get hired <clears throat> on at Scree for being Santa Claus. Listen, idea just popped into my brain. Okay. Holiday episode. You wear a Santa suit. I can do that. Scree. Oh. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. I have the suit. You know I, I do. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell your daughters, but oh, you know, my. I have been playing Santa Claus for the last few years. Yeah. Just don't tell. Okay. <laughs> we'll have to get with our Screeple. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Make work it out. <laughs> yeah. That'll be freaking awesome. That would be cool. Well, I just got back from Texas. So this is like the greatest weather I've ever experienced. Compared to down there. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> dude. 109 every single day. That's bananas, dude. Every day. Nonstop. In the mornings when we woke up, that was the coolest time. It was 88 degrees. That was the coolest it got the whole trip. And... 11 p.m., 10 p.m., it was 102. Oh, my. And the wind was blowing like crazy, but it didn't help. It was worse. It was just hot air. It was hot air. It was like (laughs) somebody was following you around with a hairdryer and blowing hot, hot air on you the whole time. It sounds lovely. It was miserable. (laughs) I don't understand how people live in that and enjoy their lives. That's why we're from the north. You're right. You're damn right. (laughs) And I appreciate being from the north, actually. So Locke, I was down there working with Locke. Willer, who's been on the episode, actually been on the show twice now. Yeah. And uh, I was down there working with him at the Scree booth at the show in Fort Worth, Texas. And he sent me a picture the other day of his temperature from where he's from in Louisiana. He's used to it. Dude, it was like 102. Oh, goodness. (laughs) And the other guy I was working with, Tyson Harris, who's uh, up in Missouri, he sent a picture and his was like 70. (laughs) <laughs> two and he was yeah. like i love the weather up here and then i had to join in and i sent him a picture ours was like 68 beautiful I was like, I was like this is the best thing i've ever had i've been missing this <laughs> <laughs> i'm surprised you didn't get punched through the phone dude i think i did oh man we may actually have lost our screen partnership that message, so you know. <laughs> thanks buddy you're welcome <laughs> Unreal, man. That's yeah. good though. It was good a fun show. Tr- it was a great show. It was the last show that Scree's doing of the year. So we got to sell some of the inventory that was actually 
on hand. Very cool. Which I know you know was just was crazy in Pennsylvania. They cut way back. They would have had to. Yeah, I mean there was, was just too much, too much yeah. stuff, and they were they were sick and tired of dragging all that stuff around mm-hmm. every single show. So they kind of uh, dropped it down to where they had one of everything for everyone to try. Nice. And we were running our normal online sale on the show Friday night. And then Saturday, everything went back to retail. Very cool. So we were offering like 20% off, 30% off, whatever, depending on what you got. The yeah. show. And we sold a little bit Friday, a little bit Saturday. And then Sunday rolled around. Like we were doing 40% off everything in the booth. Madhouse. It was madness. The first guy that walked into the booth bought an entire set of the Guardian series. Oh, yeah. The bibs, the jacket. And a puffy jacket. Is he in Texas? I don't know where he was from. I hope not. <laughs> but it was a gift to his kids. Very cool. Yeah, and he we literally pulled one of the jackets down off the mannequin just to give it to him because he wanted a, a medium. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe my other son, you know, if he doesn't fit this, it'll just go to me. And you could tell he was trying all this stuff. Oh, off, yeah. He was just like, he was a sicker guy, like full-on sicker. Come to the dark side. And he's like trying this stuff on. He's like, Mm-hmm. I kind of really like this jacket. He's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to buy it for my son, but if it doesn't fit him, it's mine. <laughs> Are you sure you don't want a large? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he did. He ended up, I think, buying a large, the puffy jacket, the ptarmigan. So he ended up buying, like, right off the rip, dude, a, a huge setup. That's awesome. 40% man. off. He made a killing deal. And then we, um, you know, I had some orders for you, some other buddies of ours that, uh, I was able to run and get you guys some stuff, and I got to mail out a few orders. But I'm I'm glad I was able to get my hands on these two because I ended up buying the same pair of pants you bought, the uh, hard scrabble in the brown. Yeah, the ash brown, just sick. I'm wearing the shirt I bought there, the uh, and the 150. Pants. Yeah, and the <laughs> pants. I was I was going all out tonight. I was like, man, I got to show Austin everything I got there. I got the uh, the Kaibab 150 short sleeve. I got the gunner vest. Yeah. Which I really, really like that. I have vest. one. I wore it all gun season last year, man. And that's where I will, I'm like, dude, I need a legitimate vest for gun season yes. instead of these little shitty ones that barely go on. Yes. I want something good. So I was like, man, I'm not going to pass up on this deal. I grabbed that. Um, and honestly, I kind of forgot about it until some guy came into the booth, was like trying them on and he walked away and left. And I was like, well, he's not getting the two X cause that's coming home with me. With me. <laughs> and I grabbed it out of the booth. <laughs> I'm also wearing the scree socks right now. All right. How are they? I don't Dude, have a pair. I didn't either. These are my first pair. I love them. They're so comfortable. So you're saying I'm missing out. If you like a lightweight earlier season, Marina wool sock, you're missing out. They're so soft. Dude, they're so comfortable. I love them. I'm glad I bought them. On a scale from one to Wasatch are the perfect jammies. <laughs> what are they? I <laughs> uh, would put them right up there with uh, the 150 quarter zip, which you know how much I cherish my zip. I do. They're up there. Okay, that, that's a that's a high rating. And uh, the Wasatch are the perfect jammies. They're so good, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't. Man. I don't know what else I bought. I think I bought something else, but I ended up. Uh, I ended up putting some money. Down. I couldn't pass it up. I like it, man. I like it. Well, that was a good plug for Scree. I mean, I don't know if you want to move on. We didn't talk about partnerships, but that was the perfect plug for him anyway. Yeah, I figured that was the kind of the plug to get into this one. And, uh, and you know, I also was mentioned, I was uh, texting Matt Futuray when I was down there. And I'm like, dude, why is it so freaking hot in your state right now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I did get to talk to Matt a little bit. As 
uh, sad I wasn't able to see him at the show, but I did connect with him a little bit as well. And, uh, you know, to plug VIP archery Ooh. as well, a uh, friend of mine that I work with, he recently just bought the Combat Veterans. And he was texting me today, and he was yeah. asking me, how do these things fly? Do I have to tune my arrows? What do you do to tune your broadheads? And I said, dude, I don't tune my broadheads. He said, what do you mean? I said, I just, they shoot perfect. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. And he was very skeptical. Like, I'm, dude, I got this freaking bow down. And then he is dialed in. He's yeah. been sending me pictures nonstop every day he shoots. He's been shooting for like six months he, every day. He loves awesome. it. He's like, I'm dialed in. He sent me a picture today, and there were two arrows. He sent me the front and the back of them, and they are literally touching. And he's got little lines pointing to him. One is the broadhead, and one is the field point. And he sends me the back end picture of them, and they are literally touching. And the broadhead was obviously the combat veteran, and his regular arrow was literally touching. Yeah. I said, dude, I told you, they're freaking dead nuts. He's yeah. like, they're, they're absolutely dead nuts. Can't ask for anything better, man. We preach them for a mm -hmm. reason. Yeah. Baddest broadheads in the business. Go check them out. VIP archery. They're awesome. Absolute killers. I agree. I agree. Put them on your arrow and go hunt. One less thing to worry about. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> so well, well, I know that took a little bit, but this were that was actually an update and a plug. Yeah, so those were both, you know, very you know relatable. I would agree. I would yeah. agree. Speaking of shooting, though, I need to shoot my shots for this week because we have a very fun competition. I wouldn't call it a competition, but a little challenge going on in our yeah. Patreon group. Which the weekly challenge this week, it's an easy one. It is. I'm scared of some of the ones coming up, but you oh, know what? Boy. Getting ready for season. I'm shooting more than I have in the past, which I'm excited about. And I'm, I'm feeling very confident going into the season, man. Yeah. I like it. I think with our Patreon uh, one-shot challenge, air quoted because there's multiple shots most of the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that we've been doing. I, I've seen a lot of improvement in our Patreon members as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Look at Bruce, of all people. Bruce is coming from behind, man. That dude started off the season and his bow, you know, needed work and there was things that he was just neglecting to do because he didn't have time to do it. I guarantee you, had it not been for this challenge, he would have went into the season needing all that work done. Absolutely. In some of the early weeks, he was putting up some bad numbers because he wasn't grouping well. Yep. He had issues with arrest and... Dude, the last two weeks, he has been dialed. Stellar. Yeah, man. Stellar. I would agree. I he's would agree. Absolutely freaking killing it. And then, like, even, you know, Ron, Ron never picks up his best. He shot a perfect 50, five out of five last week for the challenge. Yeah, man. Like, these dudes are, they're coming around. I love I it. I love to see it. I mean, it's not just them, it's us too. I think you know, we're going to have a good little group going on this year, man, as far as getting out yeah. for the season. Um, I'm very excited to see what comes. Guys, if you're interested, go check out our Patreon. We have several levels, all kinds of benefits to it. But this Marco Polo group and our challenge we got going on, it's super fun. Go check it out. Yeah. Or not. It costs you 3 bucks to join in on the fun. That's it. 3 yeah. bucks a month. That's it. Think about what you spend $3 on every day. Yeah. yeah you do that once a month. Absolutely. Have the most fun ever? Come on. Skip a cup of coffee. One day. <laughs> One day. <laughs> a month. There you go. There you yeah, go. Exactly. Well, dude, we're here for a very specific reason tonight. We are. Why don't you get into that a little bit? So we've decided to kind of start this series. And every other time we've tried a series other than maybe the Deer Slayer series, we've kind of started that. And then we would lose a guest. And it was like, 
they would just kind of flake off. And, and unfortunately, we wouldn't finish them to what our vision wanted us to. So we decided this year, you know, because it's such a hot topic over the last few years, that saddle hunting is such an important part in what you and I both do. And a lot of our listeners and a lot of our friends have gotten into saddle hunting that we were going to start a series based all around saddles. Yes. And it's not your boring, typical, if you're listening to this and you're not a saddle hunter and you're not interested, don't tune out. Because I'm telling you right now, these are not your typical boring saddle episodes. They're fun. They are. They're all over the place. And they just happen to be with people that are behind some of these saddle companies that are very interesting people. The way they've come up, they're very obviously like the ingenuity and not. They have a very creative mind. Yes. And these people love hunting. They love what they do. They're saddle hunting because they found that saddles and the way they hunt with a saddle has improved their game and the way they like to hunt and the way they like to do things. That's how they got into it. That's yeah, why. first and foremost, they are hunters. Yeah. Yeah, and they're just trying to improve the game and make everything better, and they're really important, I mean, for mobile hunting as it is. But yeah. if you guys are interested in saddles and trying new saddles and, and learning about new saddles... This is a really good series for you. We're trying to give everybody their due, give a little bit around some different companies and and, and let them have a voice to, you know, project what they're putting out and right. what's coming in the future. And it's going to be really fun. Yeah, I agree. I, I love this first one right off the rip was probably the first company I thought of during this. Yeah, because in a way, we wanted to give the, the little guys, and that's not really little guys, but some of the smaller lesser in the spotlight less smaller companies that don't have all the marketing power and yeah. money right we wanted to give them a voice too and we wanted to hear from those guys because think about it these these dudes literally built this on a, on a passion they obviously saw something that they wanted to do for themselves yep and turned it into a business absolutely and h2 saddles is like the first one i thought of when we were doing this, because it's like knowing his story and getting into it on this episode, he was the guy that I was like, we have to have him. Yeah, absolutely. Have to have him. And you're going to hear from some bigger people, too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's not. We're trying to give you guys options. The best of both worlds. Yeah. It's going to be a series where you're going to learn a lot, but you're also still going to get the same entertainment that our other podcasts give you. You're still going to get stories you're going to learn why people <laughs> decided saddle over tree stands. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the same reason we've switched, right? I would agree, my man. <laughs> <laughs> we found a benefit in something, and we, we are passionate about it, and here we are. Yeah. Let's bring them on, H2 Saddles. Let's do it. All right, and we are back. We have an exciting guest on the line tonight with us. We have Mr. Heath Hart, Mr. H2 Saddles, from Michigan himself, how are you doing tonight, sir? Doing great, guys. Nice to uh, nice to be talking to you. Likewise, likewise. We're so happy you took some time out of your night to spend with us. Well, looking forward to it. Absolutely. So this is uh, this is going to be a good one. We are breaking the ice on a new mini series. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, this has been Heath. You may not know it, but our podcast we have. Had such great ideas for mini series, and it, it's to our own fault. We we kick ourselves, and we end up getting sidetracked and losing track of them. So this one we're gonna we're gonna commit to. 
but I'm excited because Austin and I are both kind of saddle nerds. Uh, we've been hunting out of the saddle for a few years, as we mentioned to you before we jumped on. And, you know, the first one I could think of when we talked about putting this together was H2 saddles. And, you know, it's it's going to be amazing. But before we jump all into that and go deep diving, we need to learn a little bit about you. So if you don't mind giving us kind of a quick rundown introduction of who you are, Heath, so the listeners can uh, catch up with us. Um, sure. My, uh, I'm, I guess I started H2 Saddles back in 2018. So we were probably one of the originals. I think um, Arrow Hunter was one of the manufacturers and then uh, Tethered came out just before we did. So we were kind of one of the original three that came out with the, the saddle game. And um, it's, you know, it's, it's been amazing watching the 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 peak and the interest and the growth in the saddle industry. Um, it's just taken off, and now it's you know years ago you you talked to a you know an avid hunter and you'd mention something about saddle hunting and they're scratching their head going, what the hell is that? You know, I've never heard of it, and um, and a lot of guys still don't still don't know what it is. Um, some of the some of the guys that got their private property and they've got their tree stand set up and they hunt the same place year after year. And every time they go out to sit, they've got their, their couple spots that they're going to go to. And then you talk to um, somebody who's a, you know, public land hunter. And I think now I would probably say, you know, the saddle hunting industry or saddle hunting method is probably, probably surpassing any other method now, um, as far as the mobile hunter goes, somebody who's going to be, you know, walking into the woods and not really knowing where they're going to set up or don't have the, don't have anything preset, you know, they're, they're, they're the ones that are going to be having a saddle around their waist, carrying some sticks in or carrying a one stick in and, you know, walking until they find hot sign and, and setting up. And it's, it's amazing amazing method of hunting and uh we're you know very proud that you know we kind of got in on the early stages and was one of the the leaders in and bringing the the revolution to the market i guess i say that's absolutely fair and it's uh it, it has been absolutely mind-blowing seeing the growth of of the whole method the saddle hunting method i know when i first learned about it i was incredibly skeptical charles kind of he, he brought it up to me and we talked to a few people about it and I was just, I was so married to a lightweight stand and sticks. That was my mobile setup at the time. And he was running the same thing. And I, I don't know, it was kind of one of those things where I just, I didn't trust it, I guess. And then, you know, sitting in one for the first time and kind of seeing the method and watching some videos and getting on some of the forums and, and listening to some guys talk about it, it just kind of made sense. Oh yeah. It's, uh. I mean, not only the the versatility you have, but in my mind, I think there's that whole safety factor. You know, I, the first time you ever sit in a saddle, and especially the first time you're at height, and you you know sit in that saddle, of course, your your butt puckers a little bit. <laughs> Definitely, <it's> not a <laughs> a lot. It's not a natural feeling. You know, you're almost like you're 
your gravity is, you know, you're so used to standing up with uh, that downward force of gravity right on your feet. And all of a sudden, when you're leaning out from a tree, knowing that you've got nothing but 20 feet of air between you and that ground below, putting your trust in a, in some straps and a, a rope um, and leaning back into that is just a, a very unnerving feeling. But once you, once you learn to trust your gear, there is, there's nothing like it. You know, at that point in time, you almost feel like you've got a, like there's no gravity, like you're, you're floating in air up there and you're, you can move around and everything's so smooth to move. And um, it's almost like a, a light bulb clicking once right. you, once you get that. Definitely. It's like having a superpower. <laughs> <laughs> I become guess. invisible. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so he yeah, to, to yep. even uh, to even back you up further than that. How about your? We'll go personal on a personal level. I, I want to get kind of uh, the beginning of how you got into hunting, and you know, did you grow up into it, or you know, kind of uh, explain to us, you know, where where this passion came from? I guess. I guess I started hunting back in probably. 84 somewhere in there and um living in michigan there wasn't a huge at least growing up and in the the hunting you know families that you know everybody was a a rifle hunter you know that that first day of rifle season was almost like a state holiday you know kids would be kids would be gone from school classrooms would be half empty everybody's going up to honey camp and you know spending that uh that opening day in the woods and um so i kind of grew up in that mentality i did get my first my first bow back in um it was probably the mid 80s something like that so i i kind of jumped into archery hunting right away but it was to me it was more a another chance to get out in the woods you know, I, I love being out in the woods. Michigan's very pressured. It's always been highly pressured. A um, lot of a uh, lot of deer hunters. There is a lot of deer, but not not a whole lot of quality deer. So the deer you saw were you know small bucks and a lot of does and a lot of yearlings. But to me, just being out in the woods was all worth it. You know, I think I I shot my first deer back in. I guess it was probably 85 and uh, just had a, a passion for it ever since. And, and at that point in time, it was just kind of, you know, walk out in the woods and go that way and find a stump to sit on and you sat. And that was sat and waited. But yeah, I kept at it. I loved it. Um, I've hunted, I've traveled and lived in, you know, Michigan, Tennessee, Pennsylvania, hunted, the entire times that I lived in those other states, you know, I really loved it. And of course, saddle hunting, I didn't start saddle hunting till probably about 2016, somewhere in there. But years before that, I used to hunt in the same style of saddle hunting. I used to have one of those, um, it was a waist belt kind of safety harness. I think it was like a safety strap is what they called it. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. And that's, that's what I used in the tree stand. And it was essentially a big belt that would go around your waist 
and then you had a short tether and then it would be connected to another strap that would go around a, a tree. So I'd be up in the stands and I found myself facing the stands and leaning out with that uh, belt around my waist. And uh, that's kind of how I hunted. And of course that progressed into sit drags. Oh yeah. If you remember those. Yeah. Those were kind of the precursor to the mainstream saddle hunting. So I, I progressed to a sit drag and modified it to put a, a waist belt on there. And that was just more or less to hold me up as I hold up to my waist as I walked into the woods. And then, uh, you know, later on, I made myself a saddle to uh, hunt out of and met a seamstress and asked her if she could do a better job sewing because my sewing absolutely sucked. <laughs> and uh, she made me a saddle and uh, I gave her kind of a, everything that I wanted. She actually made a couple for me. So I found something that I really liked and some of my buddies saw it and they, they sat in it and they loved it and they wanted one. And then all of a sudden I, uh, you know, had the idea that, Hey, you know, this could, this could work as far as selling these things. So invested in a, you know, heavy duty industrial sewing machine and kind of the rest is history. That's awesome. That's really cool. Pretty neat. Pretty neat. I guess for me, it's, I, as I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, you know, where the heck did this idea all come, come together? And you're kind of answering that as you go along. I wondered how close were you, you know, that original design when you first built your first one, where does that stand compared to kind of where you're at today? Are you, are you close to the same design or have you made some uh, more streamlined modifications since? Generally it's the same design. Um, for the most part, I mean, there was always that, you know, a little small adjustment to, to get the fit right. And, um, someplace I still got that original saddle. Never thought about getting rid of it. Of course, the, the original saddle that I made, it didn't have the, you know, any, any Molly loops or attachments. It was just your basic seatbelt webbing with a form fitted seat between the, that seatbelt webbing. Um, there wasn't any linesman's loops, you know, it was just the bridge loop. So it was a very, very basic rudimentary saddle. It worked great and it was very comfortable. And I used that for, for probably a year before I started, you know, making more tweaks to it and coming up with actual patterns. And um, then, of course, it progressed to different sizes and we make four different sizes and what, five, five different colorations. So I think there's, you know, right now 20 different variations of saddles that we, we offer, which is far more than I think any other manufacturer out there. Yeah, that's a lot. But our whole, our whole take, we wanted to custom fit, you know, saddle to make sure that we've got something that's going to fit somebody the best, let them dial in of course, there's, you know, been advancements when we came out with the Triad Bridge, what, four years ago? Yeah, I remember when you that know, came that out. Was, that, was, that was the first time that, you know, you had a saddle that you could actually adjust the, the angle on. And, of course, nowadays everybody's 
pretty much using that same design that we came out with. Yeah, so um, yeah, for sure. It's it's interesting, but you know, see, Austin has actually built his own saddles as well. A little fun fact, which is kind of neat. Oh. Um, and I know there were some different struggles or different challenges that you faced when you built yours, Austin. Definitely. Um, Heath, what what were some of those early on challenges that you faced whenever you first decided? And, and I know you have, you may not have mentioned it, but you do have an engineering background, so you kind of generally understand how things are made or put together, how they work uh, in a way. But, you know, what were some of those challenges when you were first putting that together and, and trying to, I guess, come up with an idea? Because in all reality, you you were transitioning from a belt around your waist to a sit drag to what now is, you know, commonly known as a saddle that is pretty well streamlined. But I guess, what did you face along that, that journey? Probably the, you know, the hardest hurdle come across is getting that pattern down. I mean, we, I actually, you know, have a, had worked extensively with um, CAD, commuter aided drafting. Mm-hmm. I love CAD. So I actually brought in a, a model of a, a torso of a, you know, of an ass and uh, try to mold a matter, uh, a pattern to bend and shape and, you know, form fit it. You know, we were the ones that, that originally came out with kind of that cup saddle design. It's almost like a a football. It's it's not really a expandable pleat, but it does have a pleat coming across the center of it that, you know, provides that, that cup shape. And, you know, that was designed specifically to match the, you know, the typical buttocks of a, a person. That is um, interesting because when I think H2 saddles, I think of comfort. I mean, that's number one I think of when I, and I've, I've not sat in one to be perfectly upfront, but if you look at any review thread, when someone's asking about what is a good saddle or what like is a comfortable saddle. Like on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. H2 is always up there. Always. And there are multiple, multiple, multiple people saying the most comfortable saddle they've ever sat in. So it, Oh, yeah. I've got, I've got guys that are, you know, multiple purchases. And most of our business, we don't do a whole lot of advertising. Most of our advertising is really word of mouth. So we've got guys all the time that says, hey, I sat in my buddy's saddle and I absolutely love it. And I, I want one, you know, to the point that, you know, we're looking up, you know, what the other, what size the other customer, customer got so we can make sure that we get them in that same size if they like that. And yeah, we got a good following. I think we're, we are the highest rated saddle. If you look at the, you know, the Facebook shops and uh, we're, we're five star rated. All our reviews are actual customers. They're not, they're not paid advertisements they're they're all true authentic reviews from people i think we've got more reviews than anybody so not only the highest rating but more reviews than any saddle company but we don't pay a whole lot in advertising but what we do is we take that money that we save in advertising and you know to be able to discount our our prices so i don't think anybody can touch us for for the price of our saddle Definitely. or um yeah, I would say that's number two that comes to mind when I think of H2 saddles affordability, uh, bang for your buck. I mean, there's just you guys are kind of killing it in that aspect. You're above the above the game when it comes to 
saddle, comfort, affordability. I would say, you know, when most people ask me what saddle, and this is kind of goes to your reviews because, like I said, I've never actually sat in one. But when most people ask me what saddle they get into, I typically send them towards you. And I say, hey, try out H2. From everything I'm hearing, they're absolutely incredible. Um, and and they're affordable. It's it's something you can get into on a lower-end budget, be ready to go. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. But I'm pretty sure you're going to fall in love with it. So I would agree with you that your price point is uh, is really, really good. And if you don't like it, you can always sell it for what you paid for it. So absolutely. It's pretty darn close. So not a, a high high risk there. Yeah, definitely. The other thing that's, that's, that I think I can speak for us on, which I don't know if any other company can say it, maybe with the exception of maybe a couple. I mean, there's so many companies out there now building them, but all our saddles are essentially built by the same individual. So, you know, our seamstress has been with us from the beginning and she's literally made you know, tens of thousands of saddles. So you've got that experience every time that you're, you're purchasing a saddle, you've got that, uh, you got that quality, you know, other manufacturers that are mass producing them in a factory, you know, that could be made by somebody who's, you know, making their, selling their very first saddle and you never know. Definitely. You're guaranteed that you've got somebody who knows what they're doing and has, done it for for years so that's that's a big plus that we have absolutely absolutely well, we've talked about them a little bit let's get into the couple different saddles here real quick so you got the slingshot 2.0 and you have the hot shot can we kind of get in and break down those saddles a little bit maybe speak about the differences of them sure the um the biggest difference on those is the materials the hot shot is a a mesh saddle so the advantage of that is if you're hunting in warmer climates, it does allow you to breathe and you won't get as as hot in it. The disadvantage of a mech saddle is you do get some stretch in it. So you don't have that, I guess what you call the uniform support that you do on a, a fabric saddle. Um, a fabric saddle that's got less stretch, you your weight is basically distributed not only in those straps, but over that whole seat of a saddle. So it, it helps distribute your weight. Not that the, the hot shot's uncomfortable. If you sit in one for a period of time and then you sit in the other, at least me, I mean, I've sat in them for, you know, hundreds of hours, each of them. And I, I can't tell a difference between them. Like I said, not that they're they're uncomfortable, but there is a, a difference you can you can tell. Definitely. You know, the slingshot is is typically what what I use for the majority of my hunts, except for the early season. Um, I do have a a couple custom saddles that I'll use in early season also, which are not available on the website. They were just something that. I had tried as a prototype and ended up really liking them. And who knows, maybe someday we're going to bring those to the market. But we had some, I don't know, not really struggles, but there was uh, complications in being able to mass produce those. Definitely. So, it, you know, it might be something that's going to be available here 
in the not too distant future. But for the most part, I would probably say 80% of my sits, I'm sitting in, in a slingshot and I'm usually sitting in one of the original slingshots just because I can't wear the darn thing out. Yeah, that's you a know, good I've part. Got, I've got probably the one that I use reach most of the, reach for most of the time. I've probably got well over 200 sits oh, wow. in that saddle. And it doesn't have quite the, all the features that our, our saddles have now, but you know, it's just one of those things that I guess if I ever wear it out, I'll, I'll change over to one of the newer saddles. I think the newer saddles are probably, you know, a step up. I think the comfort's probably the same, but it's got a little more added perks that I, I don't really miss just cause I'm so used to wearing that old one. Definitely. So. Definitely. Old trusty, right? Yep. <laughs> there we yep. go. There we go. I would say definitely I have a, uh, I have a regular fabric saddle. It's the one that I, that I sewed and, uh, it's incredibly comfortable, but I also have a mesh saddle and there is a noticeable difference going back and forth. I mean, you do have that stretch with the, with the mesh, but they, they do kind of both have their own place in, in, in hunting. And I, I do enjoy both of them and I do wear them in separate situations, but yeah, there's a little bit of a noticeable difference in them. If you go back and forth, I mean, from one hunt to the next, you're going to, you're going to notice it, but it's not not something that you can't overcome, I guess, but yeah, no, really cool saddles, man. Really cool saddles. And I like how many different color options you offer. And like Chuck said before, the affordability factor of them, they are, I mean, way beyond what a lot of people are Mm -hmm. offering as far as price points. Correct. Yeah. And we, we do that on purpose. I mean, we're not, you know, this is definitely not a, you know, something that would provide a full-time income for me. I don't have a huge profit margin on these. It, um, you know, if I look at the hours that I put into it, I'm probably, you know, making close to minimum wage. Right. Yeah. Really trying to help out the guys, get them into something that works and works well. And I'm happy just seeing all the, you know, thousands of pictures people send me every year of them sitting in their saddle, they're putting their kids in it, the deer they harvest, just the, the gratitude is, makes it all worth it in my mind. Absolutely. Yeah. I have to have to go back and just think, you know, he where what for you, I guess, from the very beginning made you think that, you know, I should be a saddle hunter or I want to be a saddle hunter. Where did that come from? Because, you know, for us, like Austin said, you know, this was completely foreign to us before, you know, podcast uh, introduced us to it and the idea. But for you, I want to know, like, what made you a saddle guy? Were you always the type of hunter that was, you know, more mobile, uh, get after it, go out there and, you know, run and gun, whatever you want to call it? I, I know you, you'd mentioned before, you know, you kind of grew up in a era of steel hunting from fixed spots, and I think a lot of us did. So where, when did it click for you and why the saddle? I think it was more the mobility, you know, now that I, that was the original reason I got into it. You know, now I, you know, there's, there's many advantages, Mm -hmm. but to carry, you know, before I had sticks, I carried in the screwing steps and I was putting screwing steps in trees and then, um, you know, putting stands up and, you know, I didn't even have a linesman's belt. So you're, you're hanging on, on steps and holding on to the tree with one hand and trying to get the 
a tree stand on the tree and, you know, that progressed into, you know, the, the climbing stands and then your tree selection was very limited and, you know, you'd find places that you want to hunt, but you couldn't find the tree to, to get into. And then it just kind of, I guess it really set in, got back in um, probably, I don't know, eight, ten years ago, somewhere in there, where um, I had access to some, some hunting lands and, you know, probably had, I don't know, a half dozen, if not more, stands set up over this uh, this area. And the owner finally was going to sell the land and I lost the rights to hunt it. So I kind of forced me into being more mobile. And that's when I really just made the, the full plunge into, you know, let's let's do this. I want to make myself one and, and go from there. So it, it was almost a necessity more than more than wanting to, you know, make the switch. But I am so glad that I did because, you know, I, I can't see myself ever getting in a, a tree stand again. <laughs> I think we share the, uh, the same principle there. I know Charles a couple of years ago went back from a saddle into his tree stand and it was uh, pretty nerve wracking, I think, wasn't it, it Chuck? It was not a good scenario <laughs> at all. The first time that I went back, to actually hunting out of a like a lock-on stand with the safety harness first thing I almost did was lean right off that stand I mean the platform I <laughs> I started getting wobbly legs I found myself just hugging the tree the whole time facing it like I was in a saddle it was so weird to try to go back to yep. that platform and it was so uncomfortable I mean it was a miserable miserable hunt I'm glad it wasn't a long hunt because it was the last one I ever made out of a, a stand like that without my saddle. And even today, when I do fixed stands, whether it be a ladder stand that might be in a really good spot I hunt once or twice a year or a lock-on, I still wear my saddle. I'm, I'm still in my saddle, whether I'm sitting on the stand traditionally or I'm standing up on it using it as a platform. I, I'm still in my saddle every single time. And I've done that before also, and I've, I've even done it so, you know, I'm standing up on the seat, mm-hmm. you know, and hunting off the seat, standing on it with my, in my saddle. 100%. But yeah, I, I agree. I've, I've gone back to stands and I remember being in the dark before light and even just sitting on the seat and just having that feeling like I'm going to fall. Yep. You know, you're, you can feel your, you know, elevated blood pressure coming, you know, sitting in the dark and all of a sudden you feel like you, you know, you're losing your balance or perspective of which way's down almost. I don't know. It's just, it's weird. I, I prefer a saddle now. And, uh, there's just, to me now it's, it's a comfort, I guess, a you know, a safety comfort level that yeah. I just feel so much safer in a saddle. Yeah, I would agree you with know, that. You know, there's something about being on a tight, tight rope than having a slack rope where you know it's, you know, you're going to have that impact if you do fall. Yeah. I, I would have to ask, if somebody's listening to this and they've not yet tried the saddle, what would be your advice to them? Kind of how to get into it, what you think would be best suiting for them um, as far as the whole get up to try to convince them that, you know, the saddle can be – beneficial to them as well you know it's a rabbit hole <laughs> sure is you know obviously when you when you first try it you want to be a ground type. you want to learn how to control your movements 
how to maneuver around a tree, learn how to adjust your your ropes, how to adjust your saddle, and all that from the the ground level. Learn how to you know transfer from your your linesman's belt to your tether. You know, practice from the ground so you know what you're doing and you feel comfortable before you ever try going up a tree because no matter how much you practice from the ground that first time that you climb a tree and you do the same thing at height it's like you're starting over again and then when you have to do it in the dark you're starting over again again it's it's definitely a a learning curve somebody starting up out i would always recommend going with sticks and a platform and then once you learn that you know take a take a look at one sticking because in my mind that is another step up from in my mind that's you know the ultimate way of hunting i've uh i transitioned to one sticking probably three years ago and it's the point now that i think for the last two years i think the only time that i've actually pulled sticks out and put them on a tree is when I'm giving uh, kind of a tutorial to, to a customer, which I do almost, you know, very frequently, probably not on a weekly basis, but pretty darn close to a weekly basis. I'm, I'm meeting with somebody and showing them how to climb, how to set up, how to use the saddle, let them sit in it, let them get comfortable with it. The biggest, big advice is, when you first try it, some people aren't going to like it. They're going to say, wow, this is really comfortable, but they're not going to feel comfortable in trusting the equipment. And that's the biggest hurdle anybody's got to overcome when you're, when you're starting is learning to trust your equipment. So, I would say absolutely. That's probably one of the biggest things is having that full confidence in it. And I think to your main point in, in the beginning, staying on that ground level for a while and really just kind of, you know, resetting your, your tether height and, and just clipping on, taking off your line rope, everything, getting full comfort with your whole system is just, it, it's totally what you need to do from the get-go. Because like you said, as soon as you get up that tree, you're relearning everything essentially back to square one. Because if you don't have full comfort in it and full confidence in it, the second you get up there, you're going to be scared if you mm-hmm. if you if you don't have com- like confidence in it you like <laughs> you take off that lineman's rope and you depend on that tether and you lean back for that first time it's a little nerve-wracking like you said but once you get the hang of it it's just it's awesome you're starting to sound like chuck over there for a second <laughs> with the one stick he That's gave right. me a look and he's like you you <laughs> i know i'm still married to stick so bad but the one sticks maybe in my future you know that's my primary method probably my only method now I don't think there's a a tree that you can get in with sticks that you can't get in with a one stick. I mean, it's just and and repelling down, you know, it's fun. Yeah, it, it is. You know, <laughs> you know, yeah. And it's it's so much safer. You know, repelling down is safer than trying to climb down sticks. Yeah. The only thing I don't like about it is you know yanking that rope out of the tree. That's the yeah. only thing that I wish there was a better method for, but. It is what it is, and it's not It's not that big of a deal. I've learned some tricks to not getting your rope as stuck up there because I've had it twice to where it didn't get stuck. I never had. I have never had to climb back up the tree in two seasons using the one stick, thankfully. But 
once in Ohio and once in Pennsylvania, both times I put my tether line just above a notch, like a, a notch in the tree where a, a branch was coming off or it split or something. Both times I put that too close to that notch and it cost me a lot of pain and suffering for five minutes or so yanking on that rope. It's yeah, dumb. I've done it. I've done it one time. That's enough. Yeah. But 99% of the times you pull it and it just comes boop right out of the tree. And it's, you know, some of the trees, it's, if you're lucky enough, it'll just fall straight down all the way to the bottom. But, you know, there's not many times I'm climbing trees like that. That's your, your climber type trees. That might be the only one or the best one to get into. I, I, I appreciate those trees, but they are few and far between <laughs> whatever you're one sticking for sure. But I agree with you there. I mean, that's the only method I own currently to climb is a, is a one stick. But, you know, in, in the same sense, it's not for everyone. And we've talked about this before. There needs to be a progression. You know, Austin and I, there was a clear progression and we did it together from the beginning of, you know, ladder stands to climbers to sticks in a lock-on, a mobile lock-on, and then from sticks to a platform and a saddle. And then for myself, I went from there to a one stick, got rid of the platform, which Austin has now. And then, you know, now I'm, I'm comfortable. I don't, I, I haven't changed my setup in, in two years to two and a half years. And there's so many times that I'll, you know, one stick up a tree and then, um, you know, if I know I'm coming to the same spot the following morning, I'll just leave my, my one stick and my rope on the tree and I'll just climb up the rope the next morning, which is very convenient. Elaborate. Yeah, I want you to explain <laughs> that one because I was with you and then when you said just climb up the rope, I was, uh, I, I, you lost me. Essentially, you've got your, you know, whatever you're using as an ascender, yep, whether that's, that's a, say it's a mad rock safeguard. That's what I use. Yep. 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 So if, if you get your mad rock, you're going to clip that on and then above it, you're going to clip onto the rope like a hand ascender. I actually use a chest ascender, which I can grab a hold of and it gives me a nice firm grip around the ascender. Then I've got a hanging down below that. I've got a probably a four foot long um, foot sling that I'll clip onto that. So I'll I'll slide that the hand ascender up the rope that has my foot sling on it. So until I get my foot to about a ninety degree angle, and then I'll step up onto that foot string foot sling, and at the same time I'm pulling the the slack out of my ropeman or your mad rock. Mad rock, yep. And then you basically sit down in the saddle and then slide up that that hand ascender with the foot sling up higher and basically SRT. Yeah, I was going to say, you're basically right doing route. an SRT. Interesting. Yeah, that just piqued his interest big time. That <laughs> <laughs> is quick and the only, the only extra the only extra gear you really need is just that, you know, another ascender. I mean, you could do it with a, like a ropeman if you wanted to, mm -hmm. you know, something that small. I like, I like to get something a little bit more, something that I can get my hand around and, and use as a, 
a hand grip also. So you're almost, as you're stepping up, you're almost, you know, pulling, pulling with up. your arm a little yep. bit too on that. Yeah, pulling yourself as well as stepping up. And then take the same time you're taking out of the slack out of your, um, out of your bridge connection. So one thing you might even benefit from is a, something my friend just showed me recently that he does. And this isn't for he still climbs with the one stick, but what he does is he has a, um, oh, what is that? What is that knot called? The a uh, prosic? Prosic knot. He has a prosic knot on his main tether rope, and he has it up above him, and then onto that he has just like a climbing carabiner, and he runs his tag end from his mad rock up through the carabiner, attached up above so whenever he's pulling out slack he's actually pulling the rope like he's pulling from above his head down on the rope rather than pulling away from your body to release the slack he's actually almost pulling himself up with it does that make sense yeah interesting yeah so he does that method which i thought was really neat and i've i've done that too on your your hand ascender, you've got a carabiner that your your foot loop is clipped into, and that same that same carabiner you can you can you can clip in your tag end with, so you're pulling down on that also. You're almost pulling with both arms at that point. Yeah, really neat neat method. I know uh, last year, you know when I actually shot my buck, um, the first night I went in, I left I just left the rope up in the tree tied around up at top and i i rappelled down i took my one stick with me and then i one stick back up but because the rope was already in the tree and already i didn't have to reset it and readjust it climbing back up Correct. the second time was so much quicker and easier i'm like oh my god if i could just do this every time but i felt like that was even easier man the srt method up <laughs> as a double down it's almost you know that's even easier yet. I think you get two hand ascenders and you you don't have to advance the stick. Right. You wouldn't have to advance the stick. You would be taking another full thing out and you could just quickly get up the tree and in there. That is uh that is some advanced level stuff, but I like it. That's that's smart because one, you don't you're still not throwing a a ball up into the into the tree and getting tied in and anything like that. You're already tied on and good to go from hunting the night before. I like it. Right. Um, I don't do it often, but there were scenarios like last year where I did it twice. Um, one was a morning sit, and then I came back in the same spot in the afternoon, and the second one was two evenings in a row. And both times it should have worked out, gave me opportunity, but it was uh, very convenient to be able to get in and out real quick like that. So Interesting. Yeah, good topic. The only other advice that I'd give on that is if you do have a reflector or even a, you know, a reflector push pin or something, put it on a tree because if you're especially hunting big woods, it is very difficult to see that rope hanging down from a tree in the dark. Even if you hit it with the flashlight, you know, it, it kind of blends into the tree unless it, unless it happens to be not backdropped by the tree, um, at which point it makes it easier to see. But if it's if it's hanging right in front of the tree, it's it's very difficult to to find that rope hanging down. They even make rope with that reflective thread in it yeah. almost. That might be something to look into. 
Yeah, I don't know if they would make one. I'm sure they make something that yeah. would be the same quality you want for climbing. Yeah. Um, because I know they do it with the uh, the safety line. What's that called? The Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. The lifelines? Yeah, the lifelines. The lifelines. Yeah, those things are awesome. I, I never realized that, but they are like the greatest reflective rope ever when you're trying to find a tree. You cannot miss that. Yeah, yeah. That is so cool. I think it's... Spider strap makes those okay reflective tethers. Yeah, they're very interesting. Um, it definitely would. That's a good, good also good advice. If you're coming back in the morning, don't think you're going to just see a rope hanging from a tree because <laughs> it is not that easy. Especially in our area, it looks like every other grapevine hanging. Right, out. right. Yeah, yeah you're not going to find. You're not going to walk right up to your rope. Put yeah. it that way, <laughs> unless you have a reflective one. That's cool, man. That was that was great advice. I I would agree. I think we uh, we killed it for the the beginner type, um, and somebody maybe just not truly committing committing to yeah. it. Yeah, for sure. But I guess from there we should uh, we should probably transition into maybe some some hunting talk or some some story talk. What yeah, do you think? I'd like to hear a couple stories for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So. Now that we've kind of learned what you're all about and the way you saddle hunt, we want to hear you some stories of when you put it into application. So if you got a good a good saddle hunting story for us, I think now's a good time for it. Well, tell you what, let me let me transition to a a bad hunting story. Okay. Okay. Uh, last year was probably the first year in a while that uh, I did not harvest a deer. Not that I didn't have opportunities. I always tell myself, you know, I'm going to take a doe early just to, to get some meat in the freezer. And I've already been instructed this year for my daughter that she wants venison. So <laughs> last year, you know, I had opportunities early on does and it was 70 degrees outside. And I'm like, man, I don't feel like dealing with a deer in this heat. I process my own. So you know, not comfortable letting it hang and until I had, you know, time to, to get them cut up. So I, I didn't harvest one early. Then came, you know, getting closer to the rut. And then, of course, I guess my target changed. And I was in a tree in my saddle and had um, a group of four does come out behind me and kind of pass about 40 yards, you know, directly behind me. So as I was sitting in my tree, I decided I was going to turn around and, and just watch them and see if anything was, you know, maybe coming up behind them. And so I, as I turned around, I, I let some, some slack out of my rope to make it easier to kind of spin around. So I let some slack out of my rope and then pulled my tether down, down across my my chest in front of me and of course letting out a little slack in the tether makes it easier to, to spin around and and stand with your back against the tree yep and so i sat there for about five minutes and uh heard something behind me turned around and here's a doe with a buck a very nice buck i mean respectable for michigan it was probably a 120 inch buck eight point decent mass to it mass to them and um, of course they were now coming up 
right where I thought they were going to be, but I was turned around in the tree. So I quickly spun around, grabbed my bow, and they were still coming, basically running right up to me, and they ran up the tree on my weak side and stopped right underneath me. So I'm spun around now. Of course, I'm almost sitting down low in the saddle because I let slack out of my tether. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to make the movement to, to get myself back up where I could spin. So I decided, well, I'm just going to bring my bow over my, over my tether and take that weak side shot in that direction. Of course, by this time, that buck was almost directly below me on my weak side. I made the transition and got my bow over. And I don't know if you have ever tried that shot. I don't think I have ever practiced that shot where I'm sitting down low in my saddle and shooting almost, almost directly down at this point. But I put the bow in his direction and I could not pull that bow back because <laughs> oh, yeah. of the position. You know, I was all kind of twisted up in the saddle. I thought, crap, what am I going to do now? I wish I had never turned around because I was originally with my back against the tree. I would have been in an absolute perfect position to take that shot. And of course that was too much movement. I've got a doe and a buck standing almost right underneath me. And, um, so I watched him and that buck turned and walked directly away from me and never gave me another shot. As he was walking away, I finally got turned around again at that point in time you know, short of shooting him in the ass, I had no shot on him at all. And I was desperately trying to figure out how I could stop him, how I could turn him. I made some, some balls, some little doe bleats at him, trying to get him to at least turn his head or turn his neck. And he never did. He just was on a beeline straight away from me, heading right towards those four does that I was watching earlier. So I was very disappointed. So that, that's, a downfall, I guess, with hunting out of a saddle is especially if you get, you know, twisted up in your ropes where, you know, you anticipate a direction they're coming and they come the other side of the tree and you've already committed to, you know, a shot placement. And then you've got to try to make those adjustments, especially getting over to your weak side, which is you as he was on at that point. Yeah. Right. So that was, and that was my only opportunity to buck all year. <laughs> what I had, a bummer. I saw several others, but nothing within shooting range. So, Man. Yeah. I like the, I like the honesty and in, in the reality of that, because <laughs> that happened to me once on a doe. <laughs> <laughs> that a very similar story. I was hunting with a buddy and he, he was supposed to be filming for me. And, um, I was off the wrong side of the tree, the side I did not want to be on for the saddle, but, I set him up on the good side because he only had a climber and it was right for a climber. So of course these deer come in and one come in behind me and I twisted, you know, straight back for a straight behind me shot, nice and comfortable, no problem. But the tree, the way it was, it was actually leaned towards me. So I, my gravity was already kind of pulling me a little bit extra away from the tree. And sure enough, that first deer that came through was a little button buck and I didn't want to shoot it. I'm like, oh no. So I fully committed on this deer. It's a button buck, passes it like 10 yards. And I look back and here comes the mom coming out, like big mature doe coming out 
from the other side, which is now would be my weak side. And she's kind of caught me because I'm hanging off the tree real hard. I'm, you know, full goober mode set up on this one deer, not really realizing that there was even another deer there. She comes out, kind of busts me, but keeps coming in. She just flicks her tail, pretends I'm not really a threat to her because at this point I'm just a tangled up mess up in the tree. (laughs) (laughs) And same thing I tried. I had to like grab my rope, pull myself, get twisted back around, uh, fight gravity, and then bow over my tether line over the bridge to try to shoot that weak shot, that weak side shot. And the same thing you're mentioning, I was kind of low, weak side, and I went to take the shot. I did get the bow back. It was very hard. I kind of had to like draw and then turn towards her. And after all that mess, she stood there at like 25 yards, I think she was. And I let the arrow go and it hits a branch and deflects like three feet over her back. And oh, she no. took off running. I was <laughs> like, you gotta be kidding me after all that. And that was like the first and only experience my one buddy had with saddles. And he was just dying laughing because I was twisted all over. And I'm like trying to explain. I'm like, dude, this is not an ideal scenario. I would have never set up here. I would never, never set up this way, you know, um, but, you know, since you were here with me and we were in the same tree, I kind of, you know, let you have the comfortable sit, even though I was the shooter. But <laughs> the second time we went out this past year and he he's actually might be uh, our buddy Booer might be interested in, in I figured going I, saddle I figured now. that's who it was. Good. Get yeah. him in a saddle. That'd yeah. be perfect. He's still running like a little climber and thing is just so noisy. I'll never touch another climber ever no, again. No, I, I gave mine away, so I would never touch one again. Yeah. But. No, that might be something to think about, though, that that low, you know, sitting almost that real low extra slack shot trying to trying to, you know, account for it a little bit. I think it's the main reason why I'm adding this year a even with the one stick, I think I'm going to add a platform to my arsenal when needed um, just for a little bit more real estate moving around for some of them awkward, weird shots or. Uh, I also have some of those Bowman outdoor steps. Oh yeah, that I'm gonna try as yeah. well. Put one on each side of the one stick, kind of give me a little bit more leverage. Um, in the past, I've done that with some kind of little stick or step, like the wattage steps, and I really liked it. So I don't know if that's something you do with when you're one sticking, or if you just because last year I didn't use anything but just the one stick, and it was I was comfortable enough I could do that. Yeah, I do carry two two single steps, they're uh, rope steps, they're probably, you know, they're probably 25-year-old crampered steps that uh, I carry two of them with me. Then I I usually put one almost on the opposite side of the tree from my, my, my one-stick platform just to give me one foothold on the, the opposite side of the tree. Smart. I haven't heard Cranford since John Eberhardt. <laughs> <laughs> he loves those Cranford steps, man. Yeah, the yeah. Old, old, another old Michigan boy. Yeah, did Eberhardt ever play any I, uh, any role in kind of? I don't know. Like as you were thinking of saddle hunting, did he ever play any role in in your process? Um, no, not really. Um, but interesting, interesting thought. I I had many discussions with uh, Joe, his son. Okay, and um, you know, over the course of those discussions, I you know, found out that he is a neighbor of mine 
at my place up north. Cool. Literally a, a, a two-minute walk from wow. my house to his. Really neat. So, uh, Small world, huh? <laughs> yeah. We'll have a, a place on the same lake. and Very cool. Small world, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. So one last question I'll, I'll leave you with, um, and then maybe we'll get into a positive story since we can't let you go without – uh, without a good story, but one thing that we want to touch on this as well, we want to give you a moment just to kind of, uh, kind of brag about yourself a little bit, but we want to know what you think is the one thing, and we kind of cover this, but what sets your saddle apart from the rest on the market today? I would probably say affordability, comfort, and minimalistic and fully functional. And I don't know if minimalistic and fully functional can be used in the same sentence or not, but I think they're both accurate descriptions. I love it. I'll take it. No, I love it. (laughs) Absolutely. I would agree with you tenfold. Absolutely. I can't let our, uh, I can't let our listeners get away without hearing um, like a, I don't want to say a positive story because that other one was positive as a learning experience. True. True. But I want to, I want to ask you, it's kind of one of the questions that we ask all of our guests, but What's your most memorable story? Like, what's your favorite hunting story of all time? My favorite hunting story of all time is probably, I guess it's going back five years ago. It was during gun season, actually. It was the middle of the day, and I I decided to take a walk out to the truck and grab a bite to eat. Came out of the woods, took a slow walk you know, through the woods, keeping my eyes open, got out to the truck, grabbed a bite to eat, and just started to walk back into the the woods and uh, sat down. I was hunting with the 450 Bushmaster, which I'm not sure if Pennsylvania is one of the straight wall cartridge states, but Michigan is, so it's, it's one of very popular straight wall cartridge. And uh, walking across actually a, a field and... 265 yards away, a coyote came out in the middle of the day, running across the field and sat down in the middle of the field. So I jumped down into prone position and um, took a shot with that 450 Bushmaster at 265 yards and literally held it right on his, he was sitting down facing me, held it right on his nose and it dropped about nine inches and right through the middle of his his chest his word hit and dropped him on the spot so oh man i yeah gathered him up and uh decided to well didn't decide to i was always planning to hunt so gathered him up and went out to the the woods and sat down and within probably two hours i had a it was a 11 point 135 inch buck come by and dropped him so ended up coming home with a very nice buck and a coyote on the same evening which isn't something that most most can say has happened to him but probably more of my most memorable memorable hunts absolutely i would say so that is a poke with a 450 <laughs> yeah. bushmaster that that's a that's a really long shot with that gun that is crazy crazy i know some of the guys and we're we're not a straight wall cartridge here but ohio is and of course you know a lot of guys it's very popular there i know it's starting to get popular in different states as well but 
a couple of our buddies use them as like their brush push guns as mm-hmm. we were talking about earlier yeah you know when you're when you're doing deer drives and whatnot that's that's a very popular brush gun push gun that we uh we see guys run with we're familiar but man that is impressive what that's a, a good story too yeah what a day they're actually very accurate i mean i i had practiced out to 300 yards with that gun so i i knew it was more than capable i know at 300 yards i i feel very capable of making a killing shot with it so it's yeah that's you know, awesome for, for a straight wall cartridge it's a it's a very nice gun it's a yeah it's a hard one to beat and again it's a coyote so i don't care if he's 400 i'm gonna send one after him i think <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> i don't think i'd ever have that opportunity so <laughs> don't come beating down my doors for saying i'll shoot 400 yards at a coyote but uh you know it is a coyote it I've shot some with my bow. I've shot Adam with my gun. <laughs> and I've missed the same shots you're talking about. But, you know, that's that that makes for one heck of a, a great way to end this, I guess. Um, Heath, again, much, much appreciated you coming on. We've got to thank you tenfold. And is there anything we're missing, anything you want to add on to the end of this one um, about, you know, age two or – Anything at all? No, I thank you guys for having me. Uh, I enjoyed it. It's been nice having a little campfire talk. It's very enjoyable. Wish you guys the best. Um, oh, that's cool. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It's been fun. Yeah, we appreciate you coming on and taking time out of your night. Before we let you go, though, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Your website, social media, all that fun stuff. You know, if you search H2 Saddles, our website is h2saddles.com um h2 saddles on facebook instagram trying to think what else will we'll pop up under the google for h2 saddles perfect perfect h2saddles.com is a website that'll give you hopefully all the information you need see your inventory we've got a you know not only saddles but we've got one sticks some sticks also haters other paraphernalia on our website so beautiful beautiful well thanks again for coming on well thank you guys